going to be in Psalm chapter 78 today, so, so grab your Bible and, and find that, and, and as you do, uh, I want to tell you a story. Um, this summer, I don't know, a few weeks ago, a guy came in, and, and uh, he walked into the office and, and said, hey, I, uh, I come to your Bethlehem every other year, and, and really, it, I really love that and, and love what you're doing here, and, and uh, we talked for a few minutes. He said, I have a truck. I have a 2001 Chevy Crew Cab, three-quarter ton truck. And he said, I'd like to give it to someone who needs a vehicle. And, and I know that you guys, I, I believe that you, you, know, you would be able to do that. So um, he said, I don't want a donation receipt. I don't want anything, you know, nothing like that. He said, I just want the truck to go to someone who can use it. It's a good truck. It, it runs fine. I drive it to Anchorage and back. It's, it's no, you know, it's mechanically sound. It's just old. Um, you know, it doesn't look good, but it's, it's old, but, but it'll do us. Okay, well, yeah, we'll take that. And so we talked a little bit back and forth and <clears throat> kind of go in and, and uh, then he called the office or stopped by and Contessa sends me a text. What's up with this truck? What, what are we going to do with the truck? And I said, I don't know, Contessa. Somebody always needs a truck. So, you know, somebody's always need a vehicle. So we'll take the truck and, and, um, and we'll do that. And I said, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. We got a lot of parking, a lot to park it in the meantime. So, so we did that. And, you know, that's kind of the way I do her frequently. You know, I don't know. You know, you'll figure it out. And, and we go on. And, uh, but anyway, so, so we did. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, Greg and Becky came over to her house. And, and we were out in the backyard talking, and, and uh, Greg and Becky stayed in their fifth wheel out here for, I don't know, about a month, something like that. And then if you notice, there was a blue bus parked back here for a while, not the, you know, not the gunmetal prison bus, but that's our, our church bus, but, uh, but the, uh, the, the blue bus was parked back there. So in the blue bus, this young couple who have come up with uh, Arctic Barnabas, to, he's a, an aircraft mechanic, so he graduated from Moody Bible Institute with an aircraft degree, and they're coming up to serve with Arctic Barnabas. And, and so Kevin and Macy came up, and they got their three kids, another one on the way, and they're, they're living in this bus out here beside our church for a while. And, uh, and then they moved out north, and Greg was somebody, yeah, I helped them. They, they bought a fifth wheel, and they're you know, moving out, and they're going to stay in it until they can find a place to stay for the winter, and, and he said, uh, he said, I don't know what they're going to do. His motorbike broke down. He had a motorcycle. He was riding back and forth to work, and his wife had the car, and I'm thinking, a motorcycle? That's not a good, that's not a good solution in Alaska, but, uh, you know, not, not once the roads get slick. So anyway, um, I said, yeah, okay, and I, went, I didn't think anything about it. The next morning, I woke up, and I was, you know, making, I thought, you know, I think I'll contact Kevin to see if he could use that truck, and so I got his phone number, sent him a text, and my phone rings almost bang, you know, early that morning. And, and uh, Kevin, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is so amazing. I've been praying, and God is so good. And, and he is just going, he is overwhelmed, and everything is about God. It's not about the truck. It's about God and what God has done and how God has answered his prayer. And, and so he, he, you know, is just going on. And so we kind of worked it out. And, and, um, and Tom said, look, the only thing I ask is that it's titled and insured before it leaves the church parking lot. That's all, the only thing I want. And, and so I told him that. And, and I called up Tom on Monday. I think I was coming back from I was out in Casilof visiting. And I, I come back in. And I called him. I said, hey, I'll be in my office here pretty soon. If you want to come over, I'll give you a ride back home. You can drop off the truck. And then I texted Kevin. I said, hey, the truck's going to be here pretty soon. Um, you can get it whenever. The, all the paperwork and everything's in the office. Just need to get the title and insurance done. And, and so uh, we get here. 
Trish had stopped by, and, and we're in the office, and then all of a sudden Kevin comes in, we're talking to him, and, and, um, and I didn't expect him to get there that quick. I mean, he was like, boom. And, and so he comes in, and, and then um, a few minutes later, in walks Tom. Tom comes in, he's got this plaque in his hand, and, uh, and this plaque says, not today, Satan. And, and so he has this plaque to, to give to Kevin, but on the plaque is a $100 bill taped. He gave him the truck, and he said, I want to give you 100 bucks for gas. These two people don't even know each other. They, they don't even know they're on the same I mean, they'd never seen each other before. And, and this happened, and Kevin is just, he's overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed, thanking him, thanking God, praising God for everything that's happened, and, and just looking. And, and, you know, his young guy, they came up here, they, they, they ain't got two nickels rubbed together, trying to raise money to, to do mission work and, and so forth. And, and um, they're trusting God and watching God come in. And, um, and, and I tell that story because it, it really exemplifies the heart of this psalm that we're going to read today. It, it exemplifies how God works in our lives and, and, and what he does and, and how he moves. And, and in Psalm 78, the psalmist writes, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So I want to look at, at, at three things real quick in here. And the first one in verses 1 through 4 is that the word and the works of God form the foundation for life. The word of God and the works of God, they form the foundation for life. They form the foundation for everything who we are. You see, God's word is available to all of us. It's available to everybody. We live in a country where you, people have all kinds of copies of Scripture. Every, I mean, they're sticking under the seats here. They're out in the foyer. People leave them behind. You find them in town. People pass them out free. Um, you can get a Bible. People drive down the road with signboards on their truck. Give, you, know, you want a Bible, I'll give you one. I mean, it's, it's available. It's there. It's everywhere. And, and it's available to us, and it's an amazing collection if you come into the scriptures, um, it, it's a collection of the stories of people and their lives and how God related to them. And, and it's this amazing collection of what we're made for, of how we're designed, and for how God has delivered us over and over and over again. You say, well, no, this, this was 2,000 years ago. Look, the same thing that God did 2,000 years ago, he's doing today. He's delivering people today. He's delivering people out of bondage today. He's bringing them into his presence. He's, he's working in people's lives, and he's doing it. And verse 2 reminds us of the fact that growing in our faith, it, it requires work. He says, give ear to my teaching. Incline your ears to the word in my mouth. In other words, listen up. Eyes and ears straight ahead. 
Pay attention to what's about to go down. And, and he says this, and what he says is, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. He, he's saying that <clears throat> growing in our faith, it, it requires work. It's not just something that's magical that happens, but we have to engage. We have to pay attention to the Word of God. We have to dig into the Word of God. We have to apply it to our lives. We have to come in there and see it for what it is and, and wonder, what does God want to do to me? And we have to listen to the wisdom of God's Word and look for the application of it in our lives. In other words, when I sit down and read the Word of God, I don't just read through the verses and go, okay, I've checked the box for the day, but I've come in there and I've looked at it and said, you know what, what was God saying to these people? What was their situation? What was going on in their culture? Why were they saying this? What was happening in that day? What is the problem that's being addressed? Or what is the action that God is wanting to correct? Or how is God praising them and, 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 and saying, good job, or, or, or hang in there, or comforting them, or any number of things? What's going on there? And how does that apply to me today? I mean, what's my situation today? What does my situation look like today? What does our country look like today? How do people think here in America today in comparison to how they were thinking in Egypt or they were thinking in Assyria or they were thinking in Babylon or they were thinking in Jerusalem or they were thinking wherever? How does that apply to me? How can I put that to work? What is it? How, how did their kids respond? What did they do when their children turned away and, and ran? What did they do when they realized that they were out of the will of God, that they had rebelled against Him? How did they respond to that? And how did God respond to them? What do I do? What do I do? And, and, and this is what he's saying. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. And in other words, I've got to dig into it. And I've got to look at it, and I've got to think about it, and I've got to invest in it, and I need to put a little bit more into it. It's not a podcast you listen to that fixes your life as you drive down the road. It's not a YouTube video. It's not something that you stream as a series. It's a living word that comes in and washes through us and changes us, and we engage in it, and we understand. I'm not reading a book. I'm hearing the heart of God. And I'm hearing the story of his people. And I'm seeing what has happened as he comes through and works and comes there. Because the word of God and the works of God form the foundation for life. In Matthew 7, 24, Jesus puts it this way at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and it's one of the greatest things ever written in the entire world. And it's in the Bible, obviously. Um, and, and so as you come in, as, as Jesus comes in and, and tells people how to live, how to respond, and, and everything else, he comes in and at the end of it, he, he says this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and applies them to his life will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And then, you know, the song that you learned when you were a kid is not like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down and floods came up and splat went the house. You know, it's not like that. He's saying, look, you're going to be the wise man who built your house on the rock. When you hear these words of mine and you put them into practice and Jesus is the foundation and God's word instructs us how to build on that foundation. That's what it is. This is what we're talking about. The words of God, the works of God. We see the works of God in the word of God. 
God, and we see them around us. If you want to go back, that story about the truck, that's a work of God. That is God orchestrating something, knowing the prayer of Kevin, hearing the prayer of Kevin, knowing this guy's got this. He says, oh, you know what? I remember being over in this church before, and, and I come to this thing, and I know that those people um, are good people, and, and they're following God. And so, boom, pow, there it all happens, and God brings and orchestrates all of this. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, Paul wrote, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only as through fire. In other words, he's saying, look, build on the foundation, build on God's word, and be faithful to it. And everything else that comes in is not going to last. It's not going to endure. And we've got to continually remind ourselves of the greatness of God, of his provision, of how he has provided for us, of what he has given to us. As, as we come into this building, God's provided it for us. He has done it through through means beyond our own. Um, as, as we come into our own homes, how he's provided for us. You see, the truck story, the truck story is not a bunch of facts. It's not a bunch of facts that you come in and go, oh, okay, let me catalog this and I'll put these facts down and I've got these facts. No, it's, it's not a fact, it's an emotion. It's a feeling, it's an experience, it's something that's experiential. It's something that we're caught up in. You see, facts alone don't move us. If you don't believe that, go look at a PowerPoint present or a, you know, your next Excel sheet or whatever. Here's all the facts and you just go, you know, let me look at all the numbers and see if I can pull out what matters. It's not the facts. It's how the facts impact our lives. It's what they mean to us. It's emotion that invokes and draws us to God, and it brings us to worship. <clears throat> you see, one response would be, Thanks, Tom. I appreciate the truck. I know a guy over here who needs it. You need the truck? Yep, great, perfect. I'm ready. I'm good to go. I got a truck now. And that, that is the fact, right? I got a truck. I want to give it to somebody who needs it. This guy, I need a truck. Thank you for the truck. Those are facts. That's not a God story. The story that, that, that's the God story is the emotion and the worship that comes from it. The, the praise of God, the thankfulness to God, the thankfulness to the person that, that responded and, and made it possible and, and the God who gives and brings us in. And, and this <clears throat> is an amazing thing. It brings us to worship. It brings us to understand the grace and the mercy of God, the provision of God. This psalm is a great reminder of how God continually does amazing things in our lives, even when we fail to be faithful to him. Look, if you go past verse 8 and you go on, the rest of it is all just, we messed up, 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 we messed up. We were really foolish. We messed up. Oh, boy, we're a bunch of idiots. We messed up. We messed up. I cannot believe that we did this. And and on 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 of all of the things that, that these people did to turn from God. And, and then you see 
that God continually does amazing things in our lives even when we fail to be faithful to him, even when we don't deserve it, even when we don't deserve it. One commentator put it like this. He said, the psalm establishes the point that no matter how heinous the infidelity, God stands ready to begin again. Isn't that amazing? The grace and the mercy. That's what the cross is about. That's what it is. God does really love us. He really does love us. You see, remembering those acts of grace and mercy, those are the things that keep us in awe of him. When we remember the greatness of God, when we remember the great things he's done. And this is what God told the people over and over. Don't forget. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I've done for you. Don't forget. Don't forget. Because that reminds us of his love for us, and it reminds us of our need to worship him. And then in, in verses 5 and 6 is to keep your sights on the long game. Keep your sights on the long game. The word and the works of God form the foundation for life, but we got to keep our eyes on the long game. you got to keep focused on the long game. you got to stay in tune with not today, not next week, but life. What is the purpose? Where is it that God is taking us? There are four generations mis- mentioned in these verses. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and raise them and tell them to their children. That's four generations. Four generations. Four generations is a lot. Look, not too long ago, we had the grandparents, the great-grandparents, and, the, and the great, all the way down at our house, and the girls got together for a picture. Grandmom, daughter, granddaughter, great-grandson. We finally got a boy. But, but coming in and, and going in there, and, and so we come in, and, and that's a picture. That, that's an amazing picture as you come in. And we don't typically think in generational terms. Look, as Americans, we really don't think in generational terms. We think in terms of ourselves, our generation, us. As a matter of fact, when we think in terms generationally, typically it's negative. Boomer, Gen Xer, Gen Zer, Millennial, whatever, Bridger Builder, you know, blah, 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 whatever generation you want to come in. That's how we think about generations. We don't think about generations as we're all in this together. Because we think about ourselves and, and we wonder what's wrong with the other generations. Why aren't they like us? Why don't they think the way that we think? Why don't they figure it out? But if we build a firm foundation in our lives and we train our children in the foundations of the faith, we're setting up something with lasting impact. We're setting up something that's beyond that. We're setting up something that goes from generation to generation to generation. And that's the plan of God. That's what he wants to do. Last week we looked in Psalm 145, verses 4 and 7. It says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty works on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonder." works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You see, by doing this, we are continually laying a foundation with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. That's what Paul was saying. He said, look, you build on Jesus. You build on the Word of God. You build on the things of God. That's the stuff that matters, and you put the stuff there that makes a difference. You build and build and build, and we keep on doing it no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard your kids 
sometimes rebel. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how far away from God they seem, no matter how far they have walked from you and, and from God's word, you keep on doing it. You keep on praying. You keep on telling. You keep on living it out. You don't throw up your hands and give up. Because to do so is to say, I don't care about the generations. I don't care about the, the yet unborn. We keep on praying, we keep on telling, we keep on living, we keep on reading, we keep on studying, we keep on worshiping, we keep on doing it. And we have parents in our church who have diligently, diligently done this. They have done everything that they felt was good and right according to the Word of God to invest in their children spiritually. And they've had kids who became prodigals. Because there's no guarantee that you can do A plus B will equal C. They're best practices that typically work. That, that, the wisdom of Proverbs says, you know, you do this, this is typically what you get. But, but, but the problem is, <clears throat> is that sin knows no boundaries, and our kids aren't immune. Sin knows no boundary. Sin does not stop at K Beach Road there when you come into our parking lot. It comes right in here in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. It knows no boundaries. And it affects everyone. It affects all of us. And when I stop and, and I look back over the decades and I see the hand of God in my life, it, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it really is. It's mind-boggling. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I mean, we're not alone. He does love us. He reaches out to us when, when we are in the miry clay and sets our feet on a firm place. He loves us. That, that's the story of God. It's a story of restoration, of redemption. It's a story of love. It's a story of a God who pursues us. It's a story of God who has chosen to love us. And, and I can look at the story that God's written in my life and, and in my family, and it's totally undeserved. Totally undeserved. I don't know. I don't deserve that. I didn't earn that. I'm not good enough for that. That's what God gave. That's the grace of God. That's the mercy of God. That's the story. This is what the psalmist is, is telling us, and especially as you go later on into it. And, and I can tell you about people who have invested us. They've invested in us, not because it was beneficial to them, but because it was beneficial to the kingdom of God. Look, they invested in me not because they got something from it. They invested in me because it was beneficial to the kingdom of God. They had that sight. I can tell you about senior adults who, who watched our kids when they were little. Look, we used to go out on uh, every Wednesday night. We'd go out and visit. My wife and I would go and a bunch of people here. We would go and, and, and we would uh, train people and, and, and do this. And, and we had two small children. I mean, they're still wearing princess gowns, you know. And, and, and they're there. We would eat dinner. I would come home from the office. We would eat dinner. We would jump in the car. Esther Harvey would come to our house. She would come to our house. She would take our girls. We would be here. We would get back home a little after 8 o'clock. Let me tell you what happened in our house between then and there. Between then and there, we would come home. Esther had our two little girls bathed, in bed, asleep, and she cleaned our dishes. Without fail, we tell her, Esther, you don't have to do that. We'll take care of it all. We just need somebody who, oh no, it's no trouble at all. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? 
Why? Because she believed in what was going on. And she loves us. I mean, her husband, Larry, we went on a mission trip to Far East Russia. Larry signed up. You know why Larry signed up? He didn't want me to be disappointed because enough people didn't sign up. Larry did that just, just for that. And went, and in his 70s, he's out there throwing a frisbee, playing volleyball, kicking a soccer ball, running around, doing all kinds of stuff with these kids. And, and the young people there were saying, you know what, when, I, when I'm 70 years old, I want to be Larry. I want to be Larry. And, and they came up, you know, the bus tire goes flat. Larry breaks the stupid thing down on the side of the road with a hammer and, a, and tools and repairs it because there are no gas stations in Kamchatka to fix your stuff. And, and he just repaired the tire on the bus on the side of the road. I'm just kind of sitting there, man, this guy can do it all. And, and, and just went on and, and, and just, you know, came in. Um, when... Uh, <clears throat> When uh, we, we had Taiko Turner, I don't know, you know, some of you knew her, some of you don't, but she's a little Japanese lady. She passed away. She's with Jesus now. But, but she came up to me one Sunday and said, Preacher, Preacher. She always called me Preacher. And she said, Preacher, you need to go see a movie. You need to go see a movie. Okay, what movie? We were soldiers. That's what Chuck did. That's where Chuck was in Vietnam. We were soldiers. That's, that's where he was. You need to go see that. I come keep girls. She comes over, drives all the way out from the end of Funny River Road, drives to our house, comes in, has Japanese candy, Japanese this, you know, all, all this stuff, all, all this cool stuff that she grew up as a kid. She's in her 70s down on the floor playing with our girls. So, we, so my wife and I can go to a movie. Why? Just investing. Every birthday, every event, she showed up with a gift for him. Why? Why? We had people who invested in our kids when they were teenagers. Look, when, when our girls were teenagers, there, there were people investing. Becky Moore used to meet with our girls on a regular basis. She met with some of yours. Um, Connie Combs has met with our youngest daughter on a regular basis. Invested in her. Why? Why? Because they believe in the long game. They believe in investing in other people. They believe in the fact that we keep our sights on the future. We keep our sights on the plans and the purposes of God. We keep our sights on the things of the kingdom of God. And, and as we do that, it pays dividends because it's not just mom and dad in the game. We're all in the game together. Look, when I invest in your kids, that's bonus points. When you invest in my kids, that's bonus points because it's not just mom and dad because you know mom and dad, we're dumb. But somebody else might know something. And, and it makes a difference. It just makes a difference. You see people invested in, in how God provided for us material when things were really tight. I remember when, when I first started pastoring, I remember praying, God, I just hope I can make $10 more a month. Next year, can I just get $10 more a month? $10. Bucks. And with $10, bucks, we can go out to eat once. Things were cheaper then. Yeah, that was Pueblo, Colorado. But... 10 bucks, just 10 bucks. You know what? We got $10 a week. I never asked for anything. It's just God. It's God's story. It, 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 this is how God is. And, and these were people. Look, I, I can tell you about Ruby Matthews, 89 years old, showing up when Haley's born. I got a sack, barrel bags full of tomatoes sitting on, on, my, on, my, on my table. And Ruby says, what are you going to do with all the tomatoes? I said, you can take all you want. I said, give them away. I, I don't care. I said, I, I, we don't have time. We're too busy to do anything with it. She says, well, I'll take them and can them for you. 
give me your jars. 89 years old, she still mowed her own lawn. Amazing. Why? Why would you do that? Because I'm investing in the kingdom of God. That's why. I don't care if I'm 89 years old or 8 years old. I'm investing in the kingdom of God. And, and God has a plan and a purpose for us. And he wants us to keep sight on the long game. And God did something in his people that was beyond imagination as you come in to... Uh, the psalm here, and, and you can invest. You can invest here in kids. You can invest. Every single one of you can invest in kids here. We got lots of them. I mean, you know, there, there weren't a ton of them today, but there, typically there's a bunch of them. And you can invest. We, uh, we have opportunities to do that, to be involved formally, informally. Um, you can sign up out front today as you go out. Contessa's got a great sign up out there, balloons and, and prizes and everything else, man. Just sign up. We're asking for 52 minutes, not 52 weeks. 52 minutes. And if you can't do 52, you need a little shorter, I'll cut the sermon for you. I'll do whatever it takes. We're here to help you. We're here to make it happen. If you need 45 minutes, I'll figure out how to say it in seven minutes less. No problem. I'm sure there's some fluff that can be cut out. But the thing is, the most important thing we do is that we continually go from generation to generation to generation. We take people with the white hair, who tell the kids who are just starting to grow hair how to live it, what it looks like, what it is. You see, you can invest in them, and you can be a part of something that's way bigger than you can ever imagine because you know what? When you invest in those little kids, and, and you don't have to do a whole lot of prep. It doesn't take a whole lot. Everything's pretty well put together for you, um, and, and you can tailor it to what works for you. Look, we have the deacons do it. Nobody bled, nobody died, nobody cried. All men, we did it. All kids, little boys, little girls, we had about 30 of them. We made it happen. It works, it's easy, it's simple. You can be a part of something that's bigger than you can ever imagine. Here's the deal. You will reap a benefit from that. You will be the one to reap the benefit here today because those kids will love you. Those kids will see you. They'll see you in town. They'll come up to you and you'll wonder who they are. But you'll know they're from church, but you'll try to figure out, now, who do they go with? Who's, who's boys at? Who's girls at? Or, or how is it? And they'll come up, and, and they'll show you something, or give you something, or give you a hug, or, or any number of things. But, um, but it, it, it's, it's a great opportunity. And you know what? Before you blink, they'll be grown, and they'll be having their own kids. And in everything of life, you look at it and go, what have I done that matters? What have I done that matters? And then finally, we instill a sense of purpose in their lives. We instill a sense of purpose in their lives. In verses 7 and 8, here's the why of it all. So that, here's the why. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Or Deuteronomy 4, 9 says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And in other words, when, when you get to the place of being happy, of having all your needs met, everything there that you could ever want, 
you don't forget where you came from. That's what God told the people of Israel over and over. He said, look, you're about to go into a land of plenty. You're about to go into houses you didn't build, trees you didn't plant, vineyards you didn't tend, and you're going to, the land's just going to be overflowing with milk and honey. He said, be careful. Be careful. Lest you forget who brought you there. Lest you forget. And, and that's the reminder, and that's, that's what God is doing. And we've got to continually keep them, <clears throat> keep the greatness of God in mind and remember what He's done in our lives. And it keeps us focused on what really matters. When we remember how God has walked with us, when we remember about those times, when we remember, look, I'm telling you, Kevin and Macy will talk about that truck forever. They'll, talk, they'll remember that truck forever because it was a marker where God provided for them when they were at the, at the bottom of it all. Financially, they were at the bottom. Look, I remember that $10 raise. There are not a lot of raises I remember. I remember the $10 raise. They keep us focused. And, and there are countless distractions in our lives threatening to lead us away from God and into destruction. And you think, yeah, the smartphone is just killing us. It's not the smartphone. It's our hearts. Our hearts wander. And, and they are easily distracted. Look, this temptation goes back centuries. We're not the first people to be distracted. You think, you know what? Well, I wish I could just live in a simpler time. Well, let's go back to the 17th century. 17th century was a guy named John Bunyan. John Bunyan was a Puritan preacher. John Bunyan became a follower of Jesus. Um, he was, he was a, a, a wild man. He was crazy. He, he was a sinful man. And, and he came to Christ, he got saved, and, and he began to tell people about Jesus. He began to preach, and they put him in prison for it. He spent 12 years in prison. And they told him, they said, look, John, if you'll just not preach, we'll let you out. And he said, can't do it. Can't do it. This is what matters. The Word of God is what matters. I, I can't not do what God made me for. I can't do what God has told me to do. I, I can't not do that. I, I have to be faithful to God. So he stays in jail for 12 years. And in 12 years, he writes this book called Pilgrim's Progress. Here, here's, the, here's the crazy part of the story. The crazy part of the story is Bunyan never would have wrote Pilgrim's Progress had he not gone to jail. Never. You know why? He was dirt poor. He was uneducated and dirt poor. His wife was uneducated and dirt poor. When they got married, she had two books, and that's where they built. But you know what? He wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress, and it was an allegory that, that, that he wrote about his journey with God. And, and he comes in, and he starts talking about it. He says, you know what? I came out of the city of destruction, and he was a tinker. That means he had an anvil. I had this anvil on my back, in my backpack. I'm carrying around my anvil. And, and I get to the hill of Calvary, and at the hill of Calvary, my burden is lifted. He says, when I was saved, my burden was lifted, and it comes off. And then he goes, and as he travels with Hopeful to the city of the celestial city, he goes through, and he goes through the place of greed. He goes through the place of, of pride. He goes through the place of distraction. He goes through all of these different cities, and they're named. And Bunyan, he does a masterful job. It's a fascinating book. Read the modern version, not the old one, unless you like Shakespeare. But, but anyway, it's masterful. And it just talks about all of the distractions that we face in life. And you know, the interesting thing about it is, those characters in that book, I can see every one of them today. And, and, and I can see it. And, and we just have to instill a sense of purpose in the lives of our kids so that they're not distracted and so that they're not 
pulled into that because whenever we lose our laser focus on Jesus, we endanger the generations. When we lose our focus, we endanger the next generation. We have to stay true. We have to stay faithful. We have to, no matter what, no matter how old we get, no matter once our kids are gone, are gone and moved away, um, whatever it is, we still have to stay there because you know what? There are other ones who are seeing us. It's the next generation and maybe the next generation that begins to see us and they see mom and dad. They see them standing firm on the word of God. They see granddad standing firm on the word of God. They see their great grandpa standing firm on the word of God or the great grandma or, or whatever it is. And, and we need to keep our focus on producing godly young men and women and, and do what we can do. Your kids may wander off, stand firm. Your kids may decide that they don't want to embrace your faith, stand firm. Trust in God. Pray to God. And, and just like that prodigal, one day, pray that one day when they finally end up down there with the pigs eating the slop, wanting the slop, that they realize, you know what? I've got a mom and dad at home who love me. I've got a mom and dad at home who've been praying for me. I've got a mom and dad at home who've continually stood firm on the things that matter, on the things of God. I've got a mom and dad. They didn't land in the slop like I did because they did something different. And they have hope and they have joy. And I want that. And I know that they love me. And I know that they've kept a channel of communication open to me. They've, they've not approved of my lifestyle, but they have always loved me. And they've always prayed for me. And they've always stood firm on the things of God. And, and you know what? That's all that you can do. That's the only thing that you can do in it all. And it is real because God does really love us. And he loves our kids even when they're prodigals. And he's working to restore them. Read the rest of the psalm and read what those people did. And you understand that God continually came and, and he is continually doing it today. Your situation is not unique. You may think, well, you don't know about my kids. Look, I, I probably don't or maybe I do. But here's what I can tell you. You're not alone. There are people in our church who are all experiencing a lot of the same stuff. You go, well, you don't know mine. I go, oh, yeah, let me, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Because sin is everywhere, and it destroys us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. You see, it's easy to be tempted to give up. It's easy to be tempted to give in, but don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. No matter how bad things seem, no matter how far away it feels like you've got a family member that's wandered, don't give up. Keep on praying. Keep on standing firm. Keep on loving them. Keep on doing what you have to do. Stand firm and keep building on the word of God and the works of God. Keep your eye on the long game and understand <clears throat> that we have to instill a sense of purpose in the next generation. That's what we're here to do. That's what we want to do. You know, we, we have... <clears throat> kids in the nursery down there. We got kids in the baby room. We got babies on the way. Um, and, and you know what? We got to remember who we are. We got to remember where we've been. And we got to pass it down and train them because you know what? We're eventually going to time out. We're eventually going to time out. And when we're standing around the great throne of God in worship, the only thing that's going to matter 
is what we did for Jesus. Look, it's not the stuff that you leave them. It's not an inheritance. It's not any of that. Because I want to tell you something. The day you die and they bury you, your stuff gets divided up. Or it goes, it goes through probate, whatever it has to do. But once it's all done, the simple, simple thing is other people have it and they do what they want to do. And it probably won't be what you think they should do. And it really doesn't matter. And your stuff doesn't matter anyway. Because, you know, most of it will be sold in a garage sale. Because all those trinkets that we have and those things that we think are great, they're going to go, man, I don't have space for that in my house. It just goes on. But what you told them about Jesus, that will last forever. It will last forever. It will change generations. It will change cities. It will change countries. It has changed the world. So I want to challenge you, get involved. Get involved with the kids. Get involved in working with that. Get involved and, and stand firm and, and be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't look around and talk, think about, oh, everything's just so bad or whatever. Look, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. There's nothing new. Nothing's different. We're not facing anything that generations haven't faced for forever. It's kind of like this. Sometimes I go, man. I never understood my dad. Now I know. This is what it's like to be 60. This is what it's like. You know, and I, think, I look at Bob and I think, you know, one day I'll be, oh, I'm, I, this is what it's like to be 89 years old. You know, this, this is what it's like to look. And, and, and you, don't, you know, in your mind you think, well, I don't, I don't really feel old. I don't think I'm old. But I feel it. But, <clears throat> but the reality is, is, is the thing that we pass down is the thing that matters. All of us have something to give. All of us. Every single one of us. And I want to encourage you to, to stand firm. Trust God. And just know, read the rest of that psalm and you'll see, you know what? Things can go sideways really fast. But God, he's always straight ahead. And he is for you. He loves you. He desires for you to know him. He desires for you to come to him. And he desires to make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we... <clears throat> praise you and thank you for the blessings that you poured out on us. Father, we praise you because you love us in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. Father, you pursue us even though we run for you. Father, you give us life and meaning, forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. Because you're a God of grace and mercy, a God who is fair, a God who is holy and just, and a God who stands ready to receive us. Father, we pray now that you would draw us close to you, help us to keep our minds locked into the things that matter, to not be distracted but to have a focus on passing down the faith from generation to generation to generation that the grace and the mercy of God would be made known. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand